All right, thank you everybody for tuning back in and uh, attending in person and over Zoom. We are continuing tonight with our uh, class on the Haggadah Shel Pesach. This is really a shiur on tefillah, but we finished most of the main topics, so we are going to uh, progress to more advanced topics like the the, uh, the tefillot of the holidays. So as we discovered last week, the Haggadah Shel Pesach, um, its history parallels very much the history of the Sidur. Um, there was never a... Uh, there was never a Baal HaHagadah. There was never a person who sat down and wrote the Haggadah. There was never an assembly of people who got together and wrote the Haggadah. We have a, a halachic framework for how the Seder, the Pesach Seder, should look, similar to how we have a halachic uh, framework for how our prayer should look. And built around that, there were guides that were published over the centuries in order to remind people and give people the laws of the Pesach Seder. Now, what's different about the Haggadah is that there was never a central authority like that, Sheknesat Hagidola or Rebigam Liel Biyavne, that came together and said, okay, we are going to institute a fixed form for the Haggadah Shal Pesach. That never really happened. Um, after the Churban Habayit, the, the, the Seder, so to speak, of Pesach, received some necessary evolutions because the Korban Pesach no longer existed. And so from the Mishnayot, we can glean how some of these evolutions occurred. And from the Gemarot in Psachim, we understand how some of these evolutions occurred. And we piece together how, piece by piece, different areas of the Haggadah came to their final form. It wasn't until the era of the Geonim in roughly the 9th century that we begin seeing complete guides for the Pesach Seder, and it isn't until the 13th century that we begin seeing published manuscripts that people wrote for their own use to have a Haggadah at home. Most of these things were for personal use, not all of them survived, um, but that is about how long it took for something known as a Haggadah to take form. The word itself is mainly invented in the time of the Rishonim, and it never really had any official status. So that is where we left off. Um, last week, and we discussed a little bit more about that. So you could see last week, sure, if you want to get a little bit more, a little deeper into that. As we progress through the Haggadah, I wanted to make a very important shout out to a couple of books we're going to be using, I'm going to be using to get through this. The first here I'm showing is the Haggadah Shel Pesach of Daniel uh, Goldschmidt, Mekorotea, Betoldotea. It is available at Bialik, Mossad Bialik, for I don't know how many shekel online if you want it. It is an incredible academic work on uh, the, the Passover Haggadah. He has a section on the history, he has a section on the early forms, and he has sections which are illustrated from the earliest uh, printed. This is the Prague Haggadah, the one that's illustrated on the front the, from 1526. For those who are interested in the history of art, the Prague Haggadah had a lot of woodcuts and a lot of the earlier, um, uh, you know, it was one of the most influential Haggadot of the printing press. So that's it's a very beautiful Haggadah, very important. Another very important source is a part of the Torah Shlema series from Rav Menachem Mendel Kasher of Eretz Yisrael. He, um, <coughs> he has, a, for those who are familiar with Sfarim, he wrote a huge set called Torah Shlema, but he also has a Haggadah called Haggadah Shlema, which is one of the most encyclopedic uh, works on Haggadah Shel Pesach. So that's a very valuable resource 
that we'll also be using to get through the Haggadah. And anyone who's interested in studying the Haggadah very deeply and knowing the real uh, sources for everything should definitely look at these two two Svarim. Uh, They're not hard to come by. Okay. So tonight we're going to crack open the Haggadah, so to speak, itself. Um, we're going to start with the text. Again, there is a lot of halacha revolves, that revolves around the Haggadah. And there's the Arba Kosot, there's the Heseba, there's the, the Chiyuv of Matzah, the Chiyuv of Maror. There's so much uh, in there that it'll be impossible for us to cover all of it from a halachic standpoint. But the liturgical aspect of it, we're going to do our best uh, to approach and maybe the text. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to discuss was probably one of the more fun aspects of the Haggadah, which is the, 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 the I guess you could call it the rhyme that, be, that many people begin their Haggadah, their Seder with, by singing Kadesh Orchatz Karpas Yachatz Magid Rochza Motzi Matzah Maror Korech Rashulchan Orech Tzafun Barech Halel Nirza. So I always, I never knew personally where this thing came from. I assumed it was some holy ancient thing that, uh, some incantation that we say before the Haggadah. I never really knew more about this. <coughs> but upon researching this, it seems that in the Middle Ages, there were many poems uh, that were used didactically in order to teach people and memorize all sorts of things. Again, before the printing press was around, memorization was extremely important for people to study things. And they often used mnemonics. And this, there were rhymes using simanim, or you know, different uh, mnemonic devices, like memory castles or whatever, but songs were very popular. A song was a very popular way to memorize halacha or memorize all sorts of different things. There were piyutim written didactically for, for the halachot of Pesach, which Ashkenazim still say today on Shabbat HaGadol. A lot of uh, very important poems. Of these poems, there, we know of at least 14 poems that were <clears throat> composed just for the sole purpose, I don't have many of them on me, but for the sole purpose of <coughs> of um, uh, memorizing the order of the Pesach Seder. I'll give you an example. The only one I have here in front of me, which I, the Abu Jerham, I would have to search through Safari and, and, and waste your time with a little bit here. But here, I'll just open the Machsor Roma uh, on my screen here to show you. This is the Italian rite of of the, you know, the early Italian Jewish community. And here you have more than one poem. You have the Seder Hashir Yelachem, Lel Hit Kadesh Chag Chipazon, Bore Kadesh Achiech Gmol, Yarakutmon, Lachmar Azon Yadach, Totsimatsamororo Kroch, Usva Pik Mazon. I don't, I did, probably didn't rhyme that properly. But then they have Haruz Acher, another rhyme, Kadesh Rochatz Karpas Yachatz Magidrochza. This is the one most people today are familiar with. <clears throat> There's one from Rav Yosef Yom Tov Elam in the, in the Machsor Vitri. The Abu Draham brings four. Uh, uh, poems, no less than four poems that he found to memorize uh, the to memorize the order of the seder. Now, who wrote the one that everybody the, the popular one? So this is this is the one that survived, very universal, very popular. It, it basically became a part of every haggadah. Well, who wrote it? So there was someone named Sh that somebody named her, uh, Samuel Luzato. He was a rabbi in the 19th century. Some people call him Shadal. How how religious he was is a little debatable, <clears throat> but he had. A, um, <clears throat> he had uh, an encyclopedic mind. He was a genius scholar. And he found in some manuscripts um, a claim. I think it was a manuscript from like the year... What are we holding? Tufresh? Well, where are we now? This must be like a four or five hundred year old manuscript. And in this manuscript, somebody claimed that this rhyme was written by Rabbi, Sh Rabbi Shmuel Mifilais, 
Um, Shmuel of Falaise. Falaise is a place, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it perfectly in French, Falaise, uh, Falaise. It's a place in France in Normandy today. And Shmuel of Falaise was a, from, from Falaise, was the Rebbe of the Marami Rotenberg. He was one of the Balei Tosafot in the 13th century. This is not the earliest rhyme we have. Obviously, we have rhymes from the 11th century, but he was uh, purportedly the composer uh, of this rhyme. And it occurred to me, and again, this is conjecture, but I think I'm right, with that the if you look at the rhyme itself, if you look at this this uh, haruz, whatever you want to call it, it it is very likely that wherever, in whatever location this rhyme was composed, they didn't pronounce karpas karpas. They pronounced it karpes, because all the other rhymes call kiddush kiddush, but in this one it calls kiddush kadesh. It says kadesh or chatz. So it is my assumption that it is an ABAB rhyme. It is kadesh or chatz, karpes yachatz, magid rochsa, motzi matza. That was something that occurred to me. It's conjecture, but um, it's probably true, just based linguistically on how these things evolve. Um, it is most likely that somebody somewhere, whether it was in France, Normandy, or perhaps it was composed somewhere completely different, for some reason they pronounced the word karpes. Otherwise, there'd be no normal reason to switch the word from kiddush uh, to kadesh. I've, I've heard all sorts of gematrias, you know, take out the yud and the vav, and then you put the vav with the orchats, and you do this, and you do that. It's very interesting. I'm not sure if any of it's true. Uh, it's more likely, in my opinion, that the um, that the reason for it is because it was just a linguistic thing. Okay. Or an accent thing. So now we get to, after the rhyme, we get to the Kiddush part. The Kiddush part is very famous because uh, anyone who learns Arbe Psachim learns all about the complex halachot of Kiddush and Havdalah and Yaknehaz from Arbe Psachim, from this from these sugyot here, it is assumed by most of the poskim that although Kiddush on Shabbat is a doraita, right, because we know the words achor v'shamar, right, we have a zechira for Shabbat, the Kiddush of Yom Tov is a derabanan. However, there is a mechilta which says um, that how do I know Yom Tov minalan? It says we know from ele moade Hashem. It brings a pasuk. Many of the poskim are bewildered by this and they say no, it must be an asmachta. However, if you look in the Behag, one of the early poskim of Shimon Kayara from the Geonic times already, probably lived in the 9th or 8th century, Rabbi Shimon Kayara says in the Halachot Gedolot that just like we learn from Shabbat from the word Zachor, by Yom Tov, we also learn from the word Zachor. It says, Samhu chachamim min ha-Torah, chag hamatzot minayin. How do we know Pesach? It says, Laman tiskor et Yom Tzedcha. So he brings the, the word of uh, he brings the word Zachor to show that these are all the ways we learn um, that we, the ways we learn Kiddush out of Psukim. He does use the the, the words the language Samchuchachamim. Therefore, it is possible he also doesn't hold this Doraita. But the Kiddush of Yom Tov is a really not a part. Uh, of some sort of regular, say it's not some official part of the Haggadah, the Kiddush of Yom Tov really is just the Kiddush of Yom Tov. The Kiddush that begins the uh, the Pesach Seder is a standard Kiddush of Yom Tov that we're always saying. Now, I don't think we ever studied the Kiddush of Yom Tov inside together. We managed to study the Kiddush of Shabbat. But if one looks at the Kiddush of Yom Tov, 
it remains mostly the same throughout the what we could call the Babylonian, the Byzantine version, remained mostly the same since Geonic times. We don't have another version. It exists the same way in Seder of Amram and Sadia Gaon, and 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 further on, we have basically the same the same bracha with very insignificant changes that go that even in the Geniza fragments that just continue for the past uh, 12, 1300 years, as long as we have record for it, this seems to be the bracha that was the minhag in uh, the shivot in Babel, as far as we know, which is asher bracha banu mikolam v'romimanu mikolashon v'kidushanu minusotav v'titelanu asher malkin ba'avam ha'odim simcha chagim zmanin l'sason. And I'm sure people are familiar with this. What it seems to be is that this bracha is an abridged version of the bracha in Shmona Esrei, atabachartanu mikolam v'romamtanu mikolashon. It seems just to be an abridged version of the kiddush hayom, which we said in the sh- in the Shmona Esrei of of Yom Tov. That's what it seems that this bracha is. We do know, however, that we end, we say, So we know that we end, right? But there's a variant Chatima. The one major difference is that in Eretz Yisrael, they had a different Minhag than the Minhag Abavli. They ended with... Uh, let me. I should have the language here. Israel amo kodesh. That a unique ending. This is in Sofrim. They found this in two different places in the um, two different fragments of in the Cairo uh, Geniza. Um, pretty sure is at least two different fragments they found, which had this this ending. The problem is that many of the fragments in the Cairo Geniza just omit kiddush, and most likely because people it was so it was so common to people. That it just didn't see a point in writing the kiddush at the beginning of their seder of the, the writing out the kiddush. They just wrote kiddush, you know, finish, say kiddush, and, and go go weiter. So <coughs> the Budriham points out, at least by the Shemona Esrei, that we say This is the language we use by Yom Tov, but we don't use this language by Shabbat. Why not? He says, well, think about it. By sh- the mitzvah of Shabbat was given in Mara. It was gi- it was given before the Kabbalah Torah. So we can't say that Hashem chose us as if Hashem already gave us Har Sinai, right? The Bechira of Klai only happened at Har Sinai. So therefore, Bayom Tov, which is a mitzvah given to us after Har Sinai, Har Sinai we could say Furthermore, that he exalted us above any language, Romimut, says the Abu Derham, is a language which denotes uh, miracles, that God is exalted because he performs miracles, and that is typically something which is related to holidays, and therefore we say Romimano Bikola Shon. That is the, um, the, the understanding of the Buddha of this Biracha. The Khatima again is mentioned, the Byzantine Khatima uh, is mentioned in the Gemara Psachim Kofi Zayin Bet. It also says we do Me'en Khatima Samul Khatima, which is why we end we stay on topic um, now to to be totally honest the main version was always agreed that the main version is the one we have today the Gaonic version but anybody who's a diehard Moroccan or a Temani listening to this class will know that in the Moroccan Haggadot there is something really special there is a much longer Kiddush special for Pesach and this longer Kiddush is really a poetic version. It first appears in the Sidur of Sadia Gaon. And till today the Temanim say it, and some Moroccans from southern Morocco still say this Kiddush. So I'm not sure, I, don't, I could not find a Moroccan Haggadah in time. I'm sure I have one at home, I just was in a rush. 
I will show you how it appears in the Seder of Sadia Gaon. It is also mentioned in one of the Teshuvot of the Geonim. They call it Viagadalenu because that's actually how it started. So here, let me just share my screen for a moment. This is the poetic version, and he uh, he gives permission to say it. He says, uh, There's an expansion of Kiddush, and that's what they said. And then pause. It seems to be, again, this is going to go on for a very long time, so I won't say the whole poem, but if anyone is interested, it's in the Sidur of Sadia on page Kuf Mem Aleph. It goes longer and longer and longer. I'm not sure if the Tamani Memorak can say the entire, entire poetic insertion here. I haven't seen it in a while. I did see it last year. I was looking at a Haggadah and I noticed that it was either Moroccan or Temani Haggadah and they brought the entire Nusach of this longer poetic Kiddush. So if you still say this, God bless you. I mean, this is an amazing, uh, really, it's an amazing uh, expansion of the Kiddush and there are still people who say it today. I find it interesting that Misorah happens to be, I mean, the whole point of the Pesach Seder is, is tradition and it seems to be that people really hold on to their tradition very tightly and tenaciously when it comes to the Pesach Seder. Um, the next thing we do is obviously Shechianu. This is established by the Gemara and Eruvin, Dafmem Amud Bet, that all the Chagim have a Shechianu, so that's why we say Shechianu at the, at, at, in the Kiddush. Now, there is an extinct Minhag in these, uh, the, the Pesach Seder to say, and you're not going to believe this, the Brachav Shasana Nisim Lavotenu Bayamim Hahim Ubazman or Bayamim Ha'elu. So there was a minhag that some people will say the brachav shas the brachav shasanisim which we're about to say tomorrow night for before the megillah. We know this because <coughs> all of the early poskim and the geonim they get up and they say it is asur you do not say shasanisim lavotenu. So the only reason the poskim would be saying you do not say shasanisim lavotenu would be if people started saying shasanisim lavotenu. And many scholars suspected that this was the you know, obviously if the poskim were coming against this then there were people who were doing this. They didn't know exactly when or where, but then when the Kairogeniza was found, they they found many uh, sorry at least two or three. A manuscripts which explicitly say they have that bracha in it it seemed to have been an Egyptian minhag which was eventually deleted because of the power of the post scheme there were even fragments where it had the kiddush but then there's an area like cut out or ripped out of the parchment which seems to be an area where that bracha used to be and uh, it got thrown into Shemot or that area got cut out so apparently this was a minhag it's not clear who started it or why but the post scheme clearly did not uh, agree with it, even though it had a nice, the idea is nice, uh, but it wasn't, it did not, uh, def definitely did not survive. There are those who say, why wouldn't you say Shasanisim? Well, perhaps it's included in the Shachianu, perhaps it's in you shouldn't say Shasanisim because it's included in the whole mitzvah of the Magid. So there's a lot of halachic discussion about Shasanisim and why not to say it, but who invented saying it? It seems to be some early Egyptian uh, custom, which came out of Apparently nowhere, but we the 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 actual source is lost to history. Okay, a little bit further, um, there are, are those who have the minhag that after the kiddush they say the me'en shalosh. They say al gefen val pria gefen because technically this hagefen is not part of the suuda. It's divorced from the hagefen, which is going to come a lot later, and therefore they. Um, <coughs> and therefore they will say a me'en shalosh after this bar pria gefen. Rashi and his talmidim. 
um, actually said you should say a bori priyagefen. You should say an al hagefen after I think three out of the four kosot of of the uh, Pesach Seder. The, the second one, obviously, you would not because it's part of the Suda proper. But the other three, you should say an Alagefen afterwards. And many of the early medieval manuscripts for uh, for the Pesach Seder, the early Haggadot, do have a section there that says to say Alagefen. But you won't find that in most Machsarim today. Okay, the next part of the, of the Pesach Seder, or shall we say the Haggadah, is known as Karpas. Now, in the time of the Gemara, or the Mishnah, it was never known as Karpas. This was called the Tivul HaRishon, the first dipping. It is not until the time of the Rishonim that we see it called Karpas. We don't know where the name comes from. It's most likely a Persian or an Arabic word, which means celery, or it means some sort of uh, vegetable or light dish. There's different theories as to the etymology of the word. But <coughs> the standard... Um, practice began to be to call this section Karpas. So, <laughs> the the bus boy. <laughs> thank you. Well, they just pick up the. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you. So the. In order to understand Karpas and what and why it's in and why it is in the Pesach Seder, it helps to understand, as Daniel Goldschmidt likes to put it, the dinner of antiquity. So. In Greek and Roman times, and very much so in those times as well, in the in the times of the the Tanaim and the Moraim, the when there was a ceremonial dinner, it began as follows. There was three uh, about three sections to the dinner, and in the Gemara terms we call it Yain shel Hamazon, Yain shel Hamazon, and Yain shel Hamazon. So this is how it was. If there was going to be a ceremonial dinner, <clears throat> the dinner would begin in an antechamber. People would be sitting. Um, probably on stools or something like that, and they'd begin with appetizers. In Latin, this is called the gustus. The, they would have a light dish, and they would accompany that by wine. Then they would transfer to the main chamber, where they would they would, they would recline on you know pillows or couches, and the main dish would be served, usually meat or fish, and as a rule, also with wine. They would drink plenty and plenty of wine. Then finally, there would be a dessert. And they would then do, I guess the Jews at least, would do Berkat HaMazon. And then after Berkat HaMazon, there'd be plenty of wine as well. That was Yain Shela Acher HaMazon. So <clears throat> this was almost like a three-stage approach to a ceremonial dinner in, a, in the time of antiquity. So the Pesach Seder contains, if you look in the Mishnah, contains very much that same form as well, at least in the time of the Mishnah, in the time of the Gmarak, it changed a little bit, uh, as I'll mention in a moment. But in the time of the of the Mishnah, they began the Seder with the same idea. First, they would do the Kiddush, right, which is the first wine, the Yain Shalaf Hamazon. <coughs> Immediately after the Kiddush, there would be the appetizers. The appetizer, it for the Pesach Seder, was a vegetable, like chazeret, as the Mishnah says. It seems to be that vegetables were favored for that, except they would dip it, except differently than, than the entire year, they would dip it in something. It's, it's a discussion among, among the commentators exactly what they would dip it in, whether it was salt water, whether it was haroset, but they would dip it into something. And then immediately, they would go straight to the meal, and they would do matzah and maror, and they would start the su'uda. This was in the Mishnah's time. And then, after that, the, the children would be so bewildered by the different order of events 
that they would ask the manishtana. So the magid came after the meal. I know everybody here is jealous, but that's how they used to do it. Um, and in the time of the Gemara's time, they moved the magid, the, the drasha part, to before the meal in order to give a primacy to the to the to question and answer form. But this is why the manishtana is so out of place in the modern uh, Haggadah, the modern uh, Seder, because the Manishtana was was composed in the Mishnaic times when they still did the Manishtana and, this, and the Magid after <coughs> the meal portion itself. So now, it's not clear. The, the reason the Rishonim give for why we do Karpas is to bewilder the children. Now, it's not clear why of all things. We, I mean, if you were trying to bewilder the children, you, you could stand on your head. You could do all sorts of <clears throat> different silly things to try to bewilder the children. So it's not clear exactly why um, Karpas was chosen. However, there might be some halachic element to it in the sense that they were trying to do a halacha which was out of the ordinary, which would bewilder the children, just as a, in a didactic form. And what is that halacha? Well, that halacha would be the orchats, right? The the the, uh, the washing before the karpas. So the halacha is that when it comes to vegetables that are wet, um, there are amoraim and tanaim who would hold that we have to wash netilat yadayim before we 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 uh, have vegetables that are going to be wet or dipped, and. Typically, the halacha is most are most are posek that we do not do a netila before the before eating dipped vegetables. However, this um, specifically by karpas, the minhag was to deviate, and everybody would do netila, and they would do it with a bracha, and then they would eat the karpas. So it seems that there was some sort of like almost it, it had some sort of halachic structure that they would that they would uh, use vegetables specifically for this purpose. Others have all sorts of theories that perhaps eating vegetables before the meal is uh, more royal, or perhaps they, they used to, or perhaps it's a siman of, it's like a, a symbol of victory. There's all sorts of interesting theories as to why karpas became, uh, the vegetable appetizers became a part of the, the Pesach Seder. There are also reasons I'll piasso, the Mikubalim talk about. It's a little bit out of scope. Now, the, the, um, the Mishnah speaks about the chazeret, right? It says that, that it could be like, a, I don't remember what this, parsley or something like that. But the Rishonim understand that it could be any vegetable um, whatsoever. You could do literally any vegetable you prefer. Some, if they didn't have it, uh, they didn't have a celery, they would do parsley. If they didn't have, because there's a tosefta, which calls it parsley, some would even do, use a, a, a potato instead of instead of those vegetables, whatever they basically had. The Maril says, oh, karpas, the Magnavam uh, uh, quotes the Maril, why do we use karpas? At least the Rishonim use that language. Pesamach, because it's, it's samach parech. There's 60 times 10,000 people who uh, were, were, uh, were labored uh, with difficulty in Mitzrayim. So that's the why they used karpas in, in, more exclusively than any other vegetable. That's what the Maril says. Now, today, everybody knows and the halacha is, right, you do the tilah without a bracha. Everybody says it 10,000 times. Don't make a bracha, don't make a bracha, don't make a bracha. The reason for this is because the Shulchan Aruch says not to make a bracha. But if you look in all the Rishonim, it is taken for granted that you make a bracha on this tilah. Everybody said tilah to daim. And every Haggadah from the 14th, 13th, 12th, 11th century, every single Haggadah says, you say tilah to daim. The only reason we don't see Netilati dying today is because there was uh, the Torah quotes the Maharam and the Bala Itur who cite an objection halachically to saying Netilati Daim. 
uh, he rejects it, the Shulchan Aruch, because of Safek Brachot and other reasons, seems to say, no, you still do the Netilah. He doesn't seem to want to reject the entire Netilah whatsoever. We'll still do the Netilah, but do it without a Bracha. Because of the Shulchan Aruch's ruling, today, most Jews do not do a Netilah with a Bracha by uh, Karpas. I was, I was in Shul this Motzei um, Shabbat, uh, and there's a neighbor of mine who's Temani, and I, I thought he was Temani, so I confirmed with him. I'm like, where do you usually pray? He told me on Owen East 9th, right, the Temani Shul. So I'm learning this, so yeah, so I laughed, and I'm like, oh, wait, do you do, do, you do, natilat, do, you do a Natilat Bracha by Karpas? He's like, yes, absolutely. That's how you know it's real. Like, that's how you know I'm hardcore, <laughs> like a real Temani. The Temanim today uh, will stu- still do Natilat uh, Daim by Karpas with a bracha because again they follow more of the Rambam they don't really always hold like the Shulchan Aruch so that is uh, their minhag okay so I think that with that we will actually we'll stop here with that we're gonna next week we'll have to continue with uh, the splitting of the matzah and uh, the rest of the um, the rest of the 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 Haggadah, we have to get into Magid. There's a many drashot in Magid that we have to study. Hopefully, we can finish the entire Haggadah before Pesach, or it's going to be very difficult to give Shurim on Haggadah after Pesach. So, thank everybody for attending, and we will continue next week. Are there any questions? <laughs>